Welcome to the Deborah Unfiltered Podcast. We are your hosts, Dr. Nafi, our Mary, and Anna Five Butner. We are here to engage, educate, and hopefully empower you. Now, as you can hear today, I only have myself, both my co-hosts, our Mary and Dr. Nafi, were not able to join us, but not to worry. I have an amazing guest for us today, and our guest is Dr. Makungu Akinyela. Dr. Akinyela is a licensed marriage and family therapist in practice in Atlanta, Georgia. And he's also an associate professor in the Africana Studies Department at Georgia State University in Atlanta. He is a clinical fellow and an approved supervisor of the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapy. He's currently working on a book on his clinical ideas entitled Testimony Therapy and Decolonizing Mental Health Practice to be published by W.W. Norton in 2025. Dr. Akiniela in his practice has served as the clinical director for an assertive community treatment program to provide wraparound mental health support and care for poor working class and homeless mental patients in the Metro Atlanta community. As a scholar and a therapist, Dr. Akiniela has been a committed social justice organizer for over 40 years, focused on struggles of human rights and justice for Black people in the United States and the African diaspora. His research and writing includes such subjects as cultural democracy and mental health care, cultural domination and the therapeutic resistance, reparations and the role of mental health workers in repairing oppression wounds and African-centered family therapy. He is the developer of a culturally specific approach to narrative called testimony therapy, which he has written about extensively. <laughs> Dr. Akiniela is a member of the editorial board of the Journal of Marital and Family Therapy, the Journal of Systematic Therapy, and International Journals of Narrative Therapy and Community Work. Dr. Akiniela is committed to social justice and human rights work and has lectured, taught, and conducted workshops on these issues in such places as South Africa, Palestine, Hong Kong, Brazil, and Cuba. Welcome, Dr. Akiniela. <laughs> Thank you, Anna. Thank you so much. <clears throat> I'm glad to be here. Excited to have a conversation with you. Thank you. Now, as I shared with my audience, um, two of my co-hosts were not able to join us for this episode, but this episode is going to be centered around therapy in the African community, but focusing more on the men. So I would like to just start by asking you, as an African man, how did you get into therapy? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. You mean, how did I get into practicing therapy or how did I start getting into therapy for myself? How did you get interested in it as a topic? Because, you know, uh, in our cultures, it's mm -hmm. not something that's very prevalent as a career path or choice. Okay, yeah. Well, first of all, as you know, um, I'm an African person born here in the United States. I grew up, in fact, in uh, uh, Southern California. Um, and I, I'm a child of the 60s and 70s. So I was a student activist. Um, I, I worked really hard, for instance, uh, during the days of apartheid to force uh, my university and other businesses and universities to divest in South Africa, similar to what the struggle that people are having in Palestine right now. Uh, mm -hmm. I was uh, a community activist around questions of the violence, uh, police violence against black people in the black community. And um, I did that. I started out doing that as a, a university student. And as a student activist, particularly during those days, uh, if you were doing that kind of work, it was almost required that you read the works of Frantz Fanon. Um, Frantz Fanon was a Martinican psychiatrist uh, when uh, Martinique uh, at that time was a colony of France uh, who um, went to work in Africa, in North Africa, in Algeria. Mm -hmm. 
um, at just at the time that the Algerian Revolution, the independence movement of Algeria from France, was breaking out. But he uh, and he became well known as an anti-colonial uh, activist uh, theoretician, and that's how he's best known even today. There have been at least three books published on him in the last 24 months. Uh, and he, he is more popular today than ever. But what people miss is that he was first and foremost a psychiatrist who actually did therapy. Today, psychiatrists primarily uh, prescribe medications, but uh, he was a psychiatrist who was actually interested in the, the, the therapeutic work, therapeutic conversations and practices and he was particularly interested in questions of anti-racism, anti-colonialism, how racism and colonialism impacts uh, the colonized, particularly black people. His first book that he wrote at 27 years old was called Black Skin, White Mask, where he did a self-look at the impact of white supremacy and racism on him as, an, as a colonized black man. Um, so that was required reading when I was a student. And mm -hmm. I really focused in on that thing. Wow, this is a person who is using psychology, who's using therapy as a mm -hmm. liberating tool for his people, colonized people. Uh, he was a strong Pan-Africanist, a strong nationalist. And so I was inspired by that. Um, and when I um, got a chance to go to graduate school, it just so happened that I went to a place and I met a black woman as I was walking down the hall and she was so excited to see me that she grabbed me up and asked me what I wanted, what I was doing there, what I wanted to study. And I, I wasn't quite sure, but she says, have you ever thought about family therapy? Uh -huh. I'd never even really heard of family therapy to any big degree. But uh -huh. she explained to me what it was. And again, that clicked to me. Wow, it's it's psychology. It's It's doing therapy and I can do it for Black people. And it's about families. I really believe that Family is the foundation for African people wherever we are for understanding why we do well and why we hurt. Mm -hmm. um, and she actually assisted me. She, her name was Barbara Richardson. She was my first mentor. And she assisted me into getting into graduate school to, to be trained as a uh, family therapist. That's how I got started. And again, and I always had it in my mind, I wanted to do and be uh, in that tradition of France Fanon. Uh, mm -hmm. And his practices, for instance, is at the heart of the book that I'm working on right now about decolonizing mental health. Uh, so uh, that's how I got started. Wow, interesting. So quick question. When you were walking down the hall and the lady saw you and grabbed you up, was so excited, was it because she was Black and you were Black? That's exactly it. And it's like, okay, there's a black dude walking down the hall. What's he doing here? Yes, I'm so glad to see you. Right. Um, and she was, and uh, you know, and I, I have been blessed in that way all along my path. Uh, you know, particularly uh, black women who have seen me coming up. Uh, probably all of my major mentors in this tradition have been black women uh, who have seen me uh, and 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 taken me under under their wing, which I really appreciate. Um, you know, that's, that's, for me, that's a really important thing of understanding the power of African women. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Now, as an African married to an African, um, an African as in born on the continent, mm -hmm. raised there for the foundational years of my life, as well as mm -hmm. my husband, and then relocating to the Western world. Mm -hmm. What we find is a lot of us Africans in the diaspora and back home we're still a little bit shy and resistant to the idea of therapy, even mm -hmm. though I think we can all agree that we need it. So how do we get rid of that kind of taboo around therapy in the African community? I feel like it's getting mm -hmm. better in 2024, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. what do you think? Well, you know, it's, 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 it's not just our continental brothers and sisters. I think because, of, once again, because of colonialism, our people are leery about anything to do with Western medicine, um, Western, Western ideas. Uh, uh, there's a book that, that I, I just recently read called Medical Apartheid. It gives the history of the use of Black people okay. in, in slavery and colonialism and the experimentation on our people 
by the medical industry, oftentimes without our knowledge, doing great harm to us. And so it makes us very leery of, again, I mentioned, you know, you're going to hear me mention Frank Fanon a lot, uh, an important uh, chapter of one of his, of his um, second book, A Dying Colonialism, is he spends a whole chapter talking about the impact of European doctors on Africans on the continent, right? And the, 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 the suspicion that Africans have of European medicine because of the way Africans were treated by Western doctors, okay? Uh, right. And the, the disrespect that, that the West gives to traditional forms of healing, traditional forms of, 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 of dealing with emotions, traditional forms of dealing with medicine, and the disrespect and the reducing our ways to something inferior. And so he, he there's a whole chapter that he has on that. And we see that uh, here in the United States. It's just like you said, it's only been recently, right? When I was in school learning to be a therapist, there were whole classes and sessions on why don't black people come to, come to therapy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the main reason is that up at least up until recently, until all the conversations about decolonizing mental health, for a black person to go see a therapist was to go into foreign territory, to go into culturally unfamiliar territory, territory right. that did not respect who you were culturally, did not respect your background, did not respect your spirituality, and basically tried to fit you as an African into a European mold of, of psychology and culture without even considering what was useful and helpful from your own traditions. And so um, our people have been afraid of going to see a therapist, right? The, the biggest fear here in the U.S. That, that Black people have is somebody getting in their head. And that's, that sounds metaphorical, but it's also very literal because we have a whole history of, uh, of, of psychiatric experimentation using Black people. When we, everything from uh, the Tuskegee blood experiments, right? where right. black men were allowed to live with syphilis for decades, even mm -hmm. though there was a cure for syphilis, just to see how the black body would respond to syphilis, right? We have, we have records of, of, of um, what's called lobotomies, right? Experimental lobotomies to see what will happen if you remove the frontal lobe of a human being and let them live without the frontal lobe of their brain. And those experiments were done largely on black prisoners um, it, with, without their knowledge of what was going on, right? And so, uh, you know, here once again, here in the U.S., right after the Civil War, there were whole mental health hospitals built all through the South called Negro Insane Asylums. And basically, they would put Black people into these mental health hospitals for vague and nebulous reasons and then rent them out to work on white farms, right, as a form of the therapy. And so with this story, these stories being told by our people over and over again, these horror stories, it's no surprise that we're a little leery about going to see even a medical doctor, not less a psychiatric or a mental health uh, professional, right? Yeah. And the same kinds of things were happening not, even, not only on this side of the water, but also on the continent. The same disrespect for our people and the use of our people and abuse of our people. And so it's understandable why we have this. It's only been recently as you have more and more African professionals who are not divorced from their own history and their own culture, who okay. create a safe space in their therapeutic spaces that feel like home, that we are seeing, beginning to see more and more people coming into therapy and specifically looking for somebody that looks, sounds, and acts like them. 99% <clears throat> of my practice, and I have a private practice for the last uh, almost 30 years, is Black people. Okay. And that's Black people from across the diaspora, right? Obviously, first, a lot of Africans look and they look for an African name. They see yeah. my name. <laughs> that's actually how I found you because I was looking for an African therapist, specifically mm -hmm. male, and mm -hmm. I was looking for an African sounding name. And yeah. when I came across yours, I was like, oh, this is definitely a brother. So from the continent. And I reached out to you. So yes, I definitely get that. So that's what people are looking for that. 
people are looking, of course, they look for a picture. They want something that says, this is someone I can trust, right? Uh, some of our other traditions, right? I, I put my pictures, of course. And so, I mean, it's not unusual for people to say, I don't want, want just a male therapist. I don't want just a black therapist, but I can see your gray hair. I want somebody that's got some age on them. That, you yeah. know, that the, the whole question of uh, our, us revering elders, mm -hmm. right? And trusting that somebody that's got some gray hair, hopefully has a little more wisdom than a younger person, all of those things. And so, but because of this new age we're in, people are able to hunt for what they want. They, they, they look and they look, they know what they want. And so we are seeing that people are being more trusting. Now, the thing of it is, is I believe it's the ethical responsibility. And that's what I teach about, what I write about. It's the ethical responsibility of us African therapists to make sure that we are not imposing colonial methods and colonial ideas on the people who trust us enough to come to us. That's an ethical requirement that we do create these safe spaces that are that center our own people's history, culture, traditions, and knowledges in how we engage in the work with them. Absolutely. Now, um, Dr. Akiniela, last episode, we had a discussion. We had a female um, African, more specifically Senegalese therapist on mm -hmm. as guest. And mm -hmm. one of the topics that we discussed was in relationships and marriages in the African community, keeping mm -hmm. malice. So there's, it's very was normal. That, was the word that you used, would you say, did you say malice? Yes, keeping malice, which is mm -hmm. like giving yeah. silent treatment. Mm -hmm. And what you find is that in marriages or relationships, sometimes there's levels of malice. They can be mm -hmm. a one-sided malice, which is common. And this is the case where only one partner is interested in the malice. And very often um, giving one word answers. Then sometimes you have um, partial malice where the man usually continues to meet his responsibilities, like mm -hmm. paying the bills, give money for the housekeeper or to pay the school fees, but will not engage the wife as a form of punishment. Mm -hmm. And um, there's also the malice where there's no communication whatsoever. Like mm -hmm. there's no verbal communication, mm -hmm. there's no touching. So we had a long discussion about why African mm -hmm. men mm -hmm. use malice as a form of punishment towards their wives Mm -hmm. and their and their girlfriends or someone that they're in a relationship with and the topic of emotional intelligence came up mm -hmm. and i wanted to ask you do you think in our african communities we raise our men and our boys to lack emotional intelligence <laughs> i'm being very slow i don't know if i would say that that's I think in this society, most many people are the question of emotions. And again, that's for me, that's an issue of colonization. We fear emotion, right? Uh, it's funny, you just what you just described is a, a, a couple that I just began working with, and you you're exactly reflecting. The biggest complaint is they have an argument. He gets upset, and he doesn't speak sometimes for days. Uh, or he just leaves and, and he holds back. Even if she offers him sex, he'll have sex and still won't talk, you know, after the sex is over. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and it's it's like, that's hurtful. That's harmful. <clears throat> I, I, yes, it's a question of emotional intelligence, but, and I think this is one of the things that it's, it's, it's difficult for us to talk about in our communities Again, uh, at the center of my work is the whole, you know, you know, again, you heard the title of my book, Decolonizing Mental Health. Yes. And, and I believe that colonialism is at the heart of many of our emotional and mental health problems. Uh, and oftentimes, uh, the way we think about relationships have been shaped more by European, Western colonial ideas than by our own traditions. And one of those big things is the whole idea of the place of men and women, patriarchy, uh -huh. sexism. Uh -huh. And uh, we have been shaped by this idea that somehow that we as men are supposed to be dominant and superior 
And so we go into marriage relationships looking for junior partners or employees more than we look for partners and companions in this journey of life. And I believe, I and I don't believe that that is something that's a part of, of African tradition all the way. Was there sexism with, with, within African culture prior to colonialism? Of course there was, there were differences. But we have, we have variations on the kinds of customs we have, particularly where uh, most of the Africans who, for instance, in the United States come from West Africa, right? And yes. we've, got, we've got various traditions, right? Uh, you know, we've got patrilineal societies. We've also got matrilineal societies, though, right? Mm -hmm. And then we, we've even got twin lineal societies. If you think about the Igbo, right, um, who uh, uh, had men's councils and women's councils, Right. Mm -hmm. They didn't have a hierarchy with a king or a queen. They had these gender centered councils. And so there was much more, you know, equanimity between relationships. And so we've got different models that come from from particularly from West that Western Central Africa to show us how men and women can relate to each other. But I believe that the dominant way that that we have come to try to do relationship is that way of relationship that was imposed on us by colonialism, which tells us that women are primarily to be our servants, you know, um, you know, and that that basically we try to work it out that way. Um, this this couple that I mentioned to you, uh, mm -hmm. when when this husband would describe what's happening for him, there was so much anger that you could hear in him about his wife. And he would speak in ways that made it clear that he saw her as an inferior. He would talk about, she talked about his abusive language to her uh -huh. and how he would curse her and yell at her and rage at her and actually make her feel afraid for physical harm. And, he, and his defense of that was, well, I'm not going to let a woman out talk me, you know. A woman is not going to out talk me if a woman thinks that, you know, it's like and the, and it's, it's really, really clear that for him, it was not that another person might have had a different idea or a different opinion. It was that a woman had the nerve to talk to him, a man in that way. Right. <laughs> Which, you know, and, and so, it you know, and she says and she would make descriptions of him having arguments with men where he never raised his voice in that way to men that he talked to. Right. And so and again, uh, I think that it's it's really important for us when we talk, start talking about mental health to talk about how an imposed imposed ways of culture have impacted and affected how we do relationship, along with the reality that we are now in the 21st century. OK, and in the 21st century, you know, uh, we don't live for the most part, most of us in the in rural societies where women are absolutely dependent on men for their very survival. Right. Right. Um, and but oftentimes we we live our lives as if that is what it is. One of the this again, using this couple, this man says, I pay all the bills. If I pay the bills, I, I should have the last word. I should have the last thing to be able to say it. And if she can't go with that, then of course I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to her this way. Right. In other words, um, you know, I pay the bills, even though the other part of it is he didn't have to pay all the bills. In fact, she made more money than he did. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, but but again, his his entire identity is wrapped up in the need to be to have supremacy and superiority over this woman. Right. You know. Dr. Akiniela, you mm -hmm. mentioned something that stood out for me because I feel like as a woman, what we understand is that other men will never experience their fellow men folk the way we do. Mm -hmm. Because a man, the way he presents to his woman, mm -hmm. he when he starts yelling, when he starts acting like he's a macho man, when he's being disrespectful, you will never experience other men will never experience that from them. When they stand in front of the other men, they come correct. Mm -hmm. Is that cowardly that when it comes to us, they want to be big and bad and they're in charge <laughs> and they want to belittle us. But then when it's your fellow man, 
then mm-hmm. you know how to be respectful. You know how to accept an opinion that's different from yours. You know how to have an argument where you're not crossing any line. Why is it that you men will never experience each other the mm. way we experience you all? And I, I won't call it cowardly. Again, I'll go back to it's 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 a learned way of being in the world grounded in a, a particular cultural perspective that has told us that this is how a real man, but this is the position that a, and I'm doing air quotes, you can't see me, a Uh real man is supposed to be, right? Uh And so we are constantly challenged. And again, we have to remember, and, and, and these are the things that we black people cannot, you know, we don't have time for just regular psychology. We have to deal with the, the, the psychology of the world that we are living in. And in the world we are living in, white supremacy, the ongoing argument that we have to make with the world is that we are human. We have to convince the world at every turn that we are human. We're constantly begging that question because we're constantly being told one way or another that we are not human. For black men to not be human means we don't act like real men, right? The idea is that our women run us. And so we're constantly going, working against that idea which of course impacts our egos. Again, the solution for that though, is not to try to force ourselves to fit into the West idea of what a man or a woman is, but for us to begin to work on our own ways of being companions with each other, understanding the importance in this era and this time of building friendships with our romantic partners seeing them as partners and friends first. That's a hard thing I know, right? And I believe it can be done. I think it's the work, it's not the work of women to make men that way, but I think, you know, and not all men are the ways that we're talking about now. And it's up to us men who see a different way that we can be men, we can be fully masculine, and we can also be kind and loving to our partners and respectful of our partners as co-participants and co-equals with us in relationship. But it takes conversations amongst men. It takes men um, challenging each other on those things that you just talked about, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I remember early in my marriage, I've been married for 45 years. Wow. And um, early in my marriage, uh, I, I do what men do. I, you know, we would, I would have an argument with my wife. I'd put some bass in my voice to show, to give a little threat, right. To say, Hey, mm-hmm. you better not mess with me. Mm-hmm. And my wife started saying me, don't talk to me in those man tones. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I realized, and that's is what I would do when I would t- argue with my wife, I would put a bass in my voice and a threat in my voice as if I was on the street talking to some some man that I was afraid I was going to have to fight. Right. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And and she and we would have these conversations. Well, why do you talk to me like you're talking to somebody on the street that you're about to fight? Mm-hmm. That's what she calls man tones. Mm-hmm. Right. It's 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 uh, and and it made me aware and conscious of that. And it, it didn't happen instantly, but it took some time for me to begin thinking of my wife as a partner and not as someone who I was bound or responsible to control it took time i i i hear you but then there's the other guy there's the other man who's not dr ikiniela who Mm -hmm. when your wife tells you don't talk to me like that you're talking Mm -hmm. to me like i'm one of your fellow men Mm -hmm. don't cuss at me i don't like it when you talk to me and you use cuss words Mm -hmm. it's disrespectful Mm -hmm. and because your wife has voiced out what she doesn't like now you're going to use it as a weapon whenever mm-hmm. you want to annoy her or whenever you want to piss her off. Now mm-hmm. you're going to go into your bag <laughs> of the things that she told you she doesn't like, and yes. you're going to throw it all in her face. So how does a woman deal with a man like that? <laughs> and, and I can tell you, you're passionate about this. I and am because this... I have so many stories yes. Yes. and, it's, and this is it's, where... it's like the poison it's like the poison in a lot of the young people's marriages yeah. where we're dealing yeah. with men who, whenever we tell them what we don't like, mm-hmm. they use it as a weapon. And this is where I believe 
because again, the, 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 maybe years ago, there would be some elders that you would go to who would speak wisely to that young couple or whatever. We don't necessarily have that right now. Many times a couple might be far away from their original community, their, 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 their homes or whatever. This is where, you know, talking about good couples therapy, right? That is grounded in culture and understanding of culture, but also understands the difference between culture and colonial imposition on, on our lives, right? So that a, a good therapist will begin to question and challenge, you know, couples in their practices, the way they, the way they have conversations with each other will help them understand that oftentimes their problems are not the things they're fighting about, but how they choose to fight. I'll often ask a man, so when you do that, is that helping you get what you want? And the obvious answer is no, right? So the question is, why do you continue doing something to get something and that thing that you're doing doesn't help you get what you want? Does that make sense to you? That's where, you know, it's it, the, the, taking the stance to come into therapy and therapy is not magic, first of all. Couples therapy is not magic. I, as a, as a therapist, and I believe that I'm a very good relationship therapist. I am not a magician. I'm really clear with couples. I can't save you. Only you putting in the work and also having a desire to fight for your relationship will save you. And so one of the challenges is, I think, a man that, like you're describing, has to make a decision. How important is your relationship to you? Why is the relationship important to you? What is it that you hope to get out of this relationship, right? Mm -hmm. And are you willing to make changes in yourself to get that to that place where you claim that you want to be? And if so, are you willing to work along with me and your partner to get to that place? That's not an easy decision, but it, it takes that kind of work. And it takes really hard, slow work because... Oftentimes, these ways that we have of, of fighting each other, the way that men learn to fight, the way that women learn to fight, are ingrained and habitual, and it takes time and practice, as well as, and something that we don't, we haven't talked about, oftentimes, those ways of responding to people are grounded in real, personal, as well as cultural trauma. Yes. We've been traumatized. And so sometimes in my work, I have to recognize the, the, the couple that I've described to you, I believe with all my heart that the, 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 the brother in that situation has been traumatized in his life. Mm -hmm. He has a deep anger against women. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's playing that anger out with his wife. That's not all men. But in this particular case, I believe that. And so if we continue, I believe an important part of that work is going to have to be to help that brother deal with his trauma. He's his hurt that he's, he's had and, and see the difference between imposing that hurt on his wife, right. Who, who claims to love, right. And actually dealing with the hurt. That's some of the other hard work. Oftentimes that, that really abusive practice that you're describing is about trauma. And we as black people have been traumatized on so many levels in so many different places and we displace it on each other. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes a lot of sense. And I I also know in our Senegambian, because this we have a huge um, Senegambian audience. Um, mm -hmm. And in our Senegambian culture, when you're there's a complete breakdown in communication with your husband, um, mm -hmm. and you, he's malicing you, he's not speaking to you, you're getting the silent mm -hmm. treatment, and it goes maybe a week or two. Most of the time, mm -hmm. the wives will reach out to the women, elderly women, and the mm -hmm. advice they would get is, whether you were right or wrong, just go and apologize to make peace. But then that mm -hmm. does not treat the issue, the, the mm -hmm. problem, because then the next time there's an argument, He's also going to give you silent treatment again. So you feel like as the woman, you mm -hmm. can't win. Yeah. I, and I, you know, uh, on that, that's an unfortunate piece of advice. I would never uh, advise someone to endure abuse and to, to just to, to accept abuse. Mm -hmm. 
and and I believe there are ways to you 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 know we have to set walls up. We have to set boundaries as to what we will accept or what we want won't accept, mm-hmm. right? And there comes time when an abused partner, whether it's a man or woman, has to gain the courage. And sometimes it might take that partner getting therapy for themselves in some way, right? Dealing with their trauma. but has to gain the courage to say, I will not accept this from you. I love you. I want to be with you. I want to fight for our relationship, but I'm not willing to live in a relationship like this. Right. And unless we can get some help for each other, I refuse to endure this abuse from you. Yeah. I think that's an important thing to be able to say. Um, I, you know, uh, and anyone who would advise an abused person to endure their abuse or to always accept the blame for their own abuse. That's just adding on to, to the abuse. And we've seen that happen a lot. You know, uh, women go to church and the pastor tells them, well, just pray for your husband mm-hmm. and, uh, and it, it'll get better. You know, uh, he's, he's having a hard time. It's your job to submit and pray for him. No, no. Again, this is the 21st century. We are all human beings who deserve to be treated as human beings, mm-hmm. right, with respect and honor. And an important part of that is we have to know that we deserve that respect and honor. And so uh, I, I would never advise a person to endure abuse just for the sake of a relationship. Yeah. And I think it's also calling it abuse that... Mm-hmm is important because sometimes yeah. we think these these behaviors are just you know well i grew up seeing my dad uh malice my mom so i'm malice in my trauma. life right it's, trauma. exactly it's trauma and we need to give it the language that it is abuse mm-hmm. i know when i was much younger uh, i got married at 22 i married a west african mm-hmm. man and i dealt with malice in that marriage and mm. when you reach out you find yourself not only apologizing to him, but now I was literally on my knees apologizing to him, his mom, his dad. <laughs> and I was just like, what is happening? So when I no, told no, 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 no shade on was, was he a Nigerian? He was not a Nigerian. He was from Guinea Conakry. <laughs> Okay. Okay. And Dr. Akiniela, I was apologizing on my knees to him, his Mm -hmm. mother. And I was just like, this, it felt like I was in a world where nobody understood. And then there's also something I'd like us to discuss is, is the, is the, um, the practice in our African cultures where they want you to buy into what is easy for them and not what is real. And when I decided I was going to get remarried the second time around, I did not want to marry a West African man because I was so traumatized from the Mm. West African practices and behaviors that I dealt with in my first marriage. Now, Mm -hmm. I have to say my mom is East African and my dad is West African. And I find the East African culture to be a lot less aggressive and a lot mm-hmm. more gentle. And so mm-hmm. I, this is not something that I deal with with my Rwandese husband. But when I talk about malice, it takes me back to that place with my first husband. And I still feel anger. Um, and and you could tell, like, I'm still quite affected. Mm-hmm. But I, I hear it. Yeah. But there's also, the, I, I, I'm missing the term. Um, there's a term that they use in in your world in psychology where someone's trying to make you believe that what's happening is not really what's happening what's that called gaslighting oh my god can we talk about the culture of gaslighting in our african countries and cultures because you like it starts when you're young you're you will see your mom doing something and you say oh mom you just took my my, my money that uncle so and so left me did i take your money is it your money? What money are you talking about? And you're like, but wait, you didn't take it. He gave mm-hmm. it to me and you took it from me. Oh, so now you're calling me a liar. Okay, so now I am a liar. And you're like, no, mom, I'm not calling you a liar, but you took the money. And now you're you're left standing there like, wait, so did she really take the money? Did I not see what happened happen? Mm-hmm. And it happens in so many situations. And it can be so destructive. You get to a point where you don't even trust yourself and what you experience mm-hmm. or what you saw to be real. 
Mm-hmm. And it happens in marriages as well. Can you just touch on mm. gaslighting? I, I think, well, gaslighting is a absolutely a form of abuse. Uh, you know, probably the, the notion of gaslighting became most popularized with uh, the last president of the United States who was constantly gaslighting people, telling people that they did not see what they actually saw. Um, and it's, it, it's, I, and I, 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 uh, I shy away from using the term narcissism because I think it's overused. Uh, even though I think that there can be a narcissistic culture, not necessarily narcissistic individuals. And again, much of this is grounded. You said you you, you point out West Africans, right? Mm-hmm. I want you to think about where was most of, of West Africa that we're familiar with? Where, who, who colonized it? The British. The British, right? Uh, that, you know, and it's that British Germanic culture, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, 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 is grounded in these Western ideas, particularly uh, Western Christian ideas. And I happen to be a Christian, so I'm not bashing Christianity. Western Christian ideas of, of, of I'm, I'm, you're nothing, you're a worm, right? Mm-hmm. And this idea that people are bad by nature. And so therefore they have to be corrected and beat. Uh, and and down and talk down to. There's also that hierarchical, you know, you know. Even today, people are still weeping tears and crying over British royalty. Who cares? These are people that were responsible for the deaths of millions of Africans, the oh, loss right. of trillions of dollars of land, right? And mm-hmm. people are still just going gaga gung ho over these these so-called royals. So this it's, that has created this culture of there has to be someone on top. And there has to be someone serving them. And how dare you speak to the one on top as if they have done something wrong, right? And so yeah. we've reproduced that in our cultures, right? We've reproduced it. And so much of what we're looking at is not traditional African culture, which is which I believe at its heart is grounded in communitarianism, in, in wholeness, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, in a, a, a sense of community, but in a hierarchical, uh, feudal type culture that was imposed by Western colonialism. And we've reproduced that in our families. And the way, you know, one of my favorite books is Chinua Achebe's Things Fall Apart. Yes. <laughs> you know, we all uh, read that. <laughs> absolutely. And it tells, you know, and that's exactly what our, our culture has fallen apart. Mm-hmm. And we have, it has been replaced by these Western ideas and Western practices. And so you get something like gaslighting. How dare you, a mere child, accuse me of anything? And even if I did take it, I had the right to take it. I'm your mm-hmm. parent, right? Mm-hmm. And then that it goes from there to how dare you, a mere woman, act as if, you know, you think you know something better than me. You're claiming that that I'm cheating on you? Who are you to claim, say that to me? I wasn't, no, it was, it was not me. And how mm-hmm. dare you even insinuate it was me and to punish you for even being bold enough to do that, I'm not going to speak to you or have sex with you for the next month until you come back and apologize to me, right? Mm-hmm. All of, again, that's, that is not replication of who we have been traditionally. That is an imposition of culture that, that it, we have become ingrained with and that's, so I believe one of the real hard tasks of mental health for black people, for Africans, is decolonizing our minds, mm-hmm. getting these Western ideas of relationship and how human beings should relate to each other out of our minds. We reproduce it in, in churches, we reproduce it in community work, and we've got to really struggle to come back to a much more humanitarian and communitarian way of relating to each other, parents to children, you know, black parents here in the U- in the United States. And I know in, in West Africa, this is another, this is, I, again, all Africans, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea that the only way you can deal with a child is you got to beat them, right? Right, right. You beat them. Uh, you know, uh, I had a West African family and this mother, the way she disciplined her child is she would put cayenne pepper in their eyes. Oh my God. It's like, oh, <laughs> Right. You know, that was that was that was that was that was the way you dealt with it. You know, Mm -hmm. you did something bad. I'm going to put some cayenne pepper in your eyes. 
Mm. Right. But again, this comes from these ideas that human beings are these naturally evil beings that have to be forced into submission for their own sake. So they so they don't go to hell because they're they're basically evil, born in sin. Right. Mm -hmm. This is that British Protestant Calvinist culture that has been imposed on us. And the only way you can run any society from the family on out is you've got to have a supreme head at the top, the king or the queen, the royalty that controls everything. And then everyone else has to be taught how to submit to that. And we've reproduced that in our societies, in our families, in our relationships. And it's creating a lot of pain in us. Yes. And, uh, and, the, and again, and so that, that gaslighting comes from you don't have the right to question me. And I can do anything to you that I want to. And it's not your business if I do it. And how dare you even ask me? Right. Does that make sense? It makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And I feel like as, as an African woman watching my parents, watching other uncles and aunties relationships, I have seen, and even my own cousins, marriages mm -hmm. and friends, I have seen gaslighting. Like mm -hmm. we are all in the same room and we see what <laughs> happens. Mm -hmm. But then later, she's telling a completely different story. And we're like, how did you buy into the story he sold you when we were mm -hmm. all there and we saw what we saw? But we, as the women, they have to go along with his story for mm -hmm. peace right? Like just so we can move on to the next thing, just so we can get along, just so he can forget what happened and we can, you know, have some kind of normalcy, but there are a lot, we've normalized a lot of abusive behaviors mm -hmm. and traits in our mm -hmm. family setups, as well as in our marriage between the husbands and the wives. Mm -hmm. And what I find is, especially for my generation, I'm 42, a lot of the women are willing to go to therapy, but the men aren't. So mm -hmm. now, Dr. Akiniela, when only one spouse is going to therapy, but then the spouse with the most trauma, mostly the men, is the mm -hmm. one who's refusing therapy. How does that work? And that's, again, that the, 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 the first person that's willing to go should definitely go, get their support, and... It, get some help figuring out what they will do, how they can set appropriate boundaries, appropriate guidelines. It might be just how can, what, what plan can I do to change this? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. And so that person should go. And it, I believe that if they can learn to set those appropriate boundaries and guidelines, they've got a better chance of getting that other person into therapy eventually than if they don't do anything. Right. That's right. no guarantee that they will. It might be that they'll have to say, you know what? This is not a emotionally or a physically safe space for me. And I refuse to be here. And sometimes to be able to say that will get that other person will shock them, at least to coming to talk to somebody. OK, but even if it does not, it is better to be able to say that than to stay in an abusive relationship. Sometimes when you when you've been gaslighted and gaslighting is also like you know we call like we talk about microaggressions of white people yes it's the same thing it's like what the thing about microaggressions it makes us wonder if we're crazy am i crazy or did that person just like just really overlook me and i was first in line right maybe maybe, there, maybe there's something maybe okay maybe i misunderstood what was going on right and so it makes you question yourself that's what gaslighting does mm -hmm. right and mm -hmm. so Sometimes you just need some help to say, oh, no, I am not crazy and I don't deserve to be treated this way. And in fact, I refuse to be treated this way. And unless conditions change, you know, this is what I will choose to do for myself. Okay. And sometimes it takes going to a therapist just by yourself to get be able to get to that place. I, I, I see that. And um, I know you said you wanted to shy away from the word narcissist because it's over you. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't bring it up, especially we're dealing with Africa when talking about African men and how we women experience them. Because in our African setup, the man can be very manipulative. 
They can be very controlling. You can set boundaries and they will trample over those boundaries. So there's a lack of boundaries. They also have a sense of entitlement, not just over you, but over the family, over the children. It's like, I, I can do whatever I want to do because I am man. And then there's also this lack of empathy. So when you look at those traits, you're like, but that does sound like a narcissist. So are we raising our African men to be narcissists? And again, I believe that most mental health questions, most most emotional problems are grounded in our social structure. And, um, and I, I believe that the philosophy of manhood, which is basically patriarchy, is a narcissistic philosophy. Mm-hmm. So that men are raised, men are raised, and not just black men, right? It's yes. just that black men, it's even harder because you're you're raised to believe something, but also to believe that somehow as a black person, you're not getting what you deserve. Right. Right. And so when you're raised to believe that men are supposed to be the center of the world, that's narcissism, first of all. Yep. That you as a man are supposed to be what, what the whole subject of the world is about. Mm-hmm. Right? That 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 marriage is basically so a man can have someone to take care of him. And mm-hmm. if you're not taking care of me as a man, you're not living up to your responsibility because I'm the center. You're supposed to be doing why aren't you, you know, this same couple, I mean, they're a perfect couple that I've been telling you about. Yes. She told him before they got married, hey, I've been married once before. I've got two grown kids. I don't I don't like to cook, so I don't cook that much. He says, that's okay. I I can cook. I can, you know. But one of the main issues, he says, other women cook for their husbands. Why don't you cook for me now? Right. Um, You should cook for me every day, even though she works every day, just like he does. Right. Um, You know, and, and but again, for him, the issue is she's supposed to do it because he's a man. That's nar- that's narcissism. Absolutely. Where, where you center yourself. And so what I what I want to take us back to is rather than, you know, this idea of individual uh pathologizing and individualistic diagnoses, this is a social problem. Mm-hmm. Right? The 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 philosophy that tells men how to be a man in the world in the western world today is narcissistic. And so men are expressing that philosophy, patriarchy, a narcissistic philosophy. And so the challenge has to be to, to get men to, to come to a, a realization, this is not serving your peace. This is not serving your life. And to question this worldview that they hold, that they have to be the center of the world. And if not, it means that they are not being real men. And that's the challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Right. A man is so afraid that someone is going to tell him that he's not a real man because his woman doesn't cook for him every day or because when he says something, she doesn't question him. If she has her own idea, she's disrespecting him. These are the ideas that a lot of young men come up with these days. Right. Mm-hmm. That if a woman has her own opinion, she's showing him disrespect by voicing her opinion. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, you know, so therefore, his main job is to, I'm air quoting again, keep his woman under control, right? right. So yes, narcissism, but I, I, I want to caution us against individually pathologizing Black men and understand that it's a narcissistic culture and social structure that men have found themselves growing up in. And it's hard work for us to begin to separate ourselves from that. Oh, I just feel like sometimes as women, we we feel that you do, you damned, you don't, you damned. Because mm-hmm. in our cultures, in our religions, I was raised mm-hmm. Muslim. I come mm-hmm. from a predominantly Muslim country. Mm-hmm. A woman is designed to follow the lead of her husband mm-hmm. and would only go as far as her husband allows. Mm-hmm. So if this person that you're leading... Mm-hmm. is not nice to you and if they're manipulative and if they're overly controlling sometimes the women feel like the only way to stay in their marriages 
and have some kind of peace is to just be appeasing all the time. Mm-hmm. Whatever he like, just do it. Just do it so that you don't have a problem with him. Whether you like it, you don't like it, you agree, you don't agree. Not too long ago, I had a friend call me and um, she was in an argument with her husband and her husband slapped her. Mm. So, and this was the first time in over seven years of marriage that he slapped mm. her. Mm. So she did what I believe most people would do, which is in your shock and disbelief, call the police. Mm. But then- by the time the police get there, you reach out to a friend or a family member and they're like, hang mm-hmm. up, hang up the phone. De- tell them not to come. Remember, this is a black man in America. You know, mm-hmm. we cannot call police on each other. This is something we could sort out at home. So mm-hmm. when the police get there, she's like, oh, never mind. Nothing happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, he gets upset that she called the police. So now he's malicing her mm-hmm. for over two weeks. Because she called the police because he slapped her. And Mm -hmm. all the women are saying, just keep apologizing until he, in in Wolof we say gifal, which means until he lets go, until he he forgives you and is back to speaking terms with you. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's like, that's that's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Akinil, I I, help you. Make sense of it. I agree with you. It's it's it, it's mentally unstable. It's crazy, right? And no woman should be encouraged to take those actions. You know, uh, that's why I think this thing that you you and your colleagues are doing becomes so important. And I'm I'm I you know I don't even know what kind of an audience you have, but I'm hoping that you have a large audience that there are both men and women who listen to this mm-hmm. this this podcast because again, it's going to actually take alternate ideas being put out there right um you know i wish your friend had another group of women who said you know what oh first of all what you need to do is you need to get yourself to a safe place separate yourself from this person because this is not a safe person this person will harm you right and let this person know that until they get some help for themselves to learn how to treat you as an equal human being you won't be in relationship with them, yeah. right? Oftentimes, what you're calling malicing, I call stonewalling. When a person stonewalls, they're basically, they've taken control of the argument. They're setting the parameters of how things will be done, mm-hmm. right? But what if he maliced her and she says, you know what, good. Um, I'm packing my bags and I'm mm-hmm. going to go and stay somewhere else when you are ready to act like, a civilized 21st century human being, I'm absolutely willing to talk to you about it, but I won't be abused in this way any longer. Right. Right. Uh, But again, you have to have a community to support that, to support those kinds of actions in you. And I'm not saying that to say that she should leave this man forever. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because I I, I don't know their relationship and it might've just been some act of real craziness that he did that he would never do again, but no one should be told to accept verbal, physical, or emotional abuse from any other human being, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. and I believe that anyone who, who goes through that needs to be supported by a community to first and foremost protect themselves, Absolutely. right? And, and from there to, to be able to put together some clear messages about what they will accept and what they won't accept and what their future should look like. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. I feel like we have definitely um, tackled the topic Mm -hmm. and you have shared a lot of insight that goes beyond just us Mm -hmm. as husbands and wives, us Mm -hmm. as Africans in our family setup, but also giving us the background, the history of the Mm -hmm. remnants of colonization, uh, colonization and what, what it's left in us and how Mm -hmm. even though a lot of us, for example, Gambia just had its independence and I think Mm -hmm. we're what over 65 now and Mm -hmm. we're still dealing with colonization and the Mm -hmm. effects of it in our family settings, in our Mm -hmm. cultural and traditional practices. And we don't really dig deep to find Mm -hmm. where it's originating from. And Mm -hmm. I think it's definitely up to us to start having those discussions and seeing how can we change? How can Mm -hmm. we 
not use those setups that clearly are not working for us as a family mm-hmm. and as a couple. Um, and we would love to have you on again, Dr. Akiniela, if you would like to come back with both my hosts here <laughs> so that they can also ask the questions and bring up other topics. Yes, but thank you. It has been amazing having you on. I'm going to make sure that I have your handles when I post this episode, but can you share with the audience where they can find you? We have a lot of Senegalese and Gambians in the Atlanta Mm -hmm. area. Mm -hmm. So um, if you can just share where they can reach out and and get a hold of you. Okay. Uh, My website is simple. It's just uh, drmakungu.com. D-R-M-A-K-U-N-G-U.com. So it's really easy there. Um, Makungu Akinyela, uh, they can find me on Facebook, uh, uh, Dr. Makungu uh, on Instagram and all those kinds of things. It's the same one always, you know, with the little at sign and Dr. Makungu, um, they can find me there. Um, And uh, so, you know, that's, those are the ways that people can kind of, catch up with me and be looking out in about a year for my book. Yes. Looking forward to your book next year in 2025. When it publishes, we would love to have you back on if you (laughs) would avail yourself so we could talk about the book and some of the topics that are in it. And Mm -hmm. we'll be sure to get copies and and read all three of us, my host and I, so that we can have an in-depth discussion about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. Have a wonderful Sunday. You too, Ms. Brudner. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.